Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. I'm Christopher Lawley, Planet Dharma team member and producer of the podcast. I thought we could finish up this fourth season with a series of episodes that explore the four pillars of Planet Dharma's approach to working with students. So we'll be listening to Doug Capel-Duncan and Catherine Poissarat-Sensei talk about the framework that they employ to help people progress on the spiritual path. The four pillars, as you may remember from episode 12 earlier in the season, are study, service, meditation, and shadow integration. In today's excerpt, taken from their online course, Beyond the Cushion, Capel and Sensei explore the power of studying the myriad aspects of our experience. They look at how applying this approach helps us understand our mind, emotions, and our material world, including being able to more skillfully be in community together. There are many ways to experience this modern formulation of the teachings. These four pillars are infused into a diverse range of in-person and virtual programming to meet spiritual seekers where they are, from online courses and classes to full-length meditation retreats on topics ranging from Buddha Dharma to the Western Mysteries. You'll find an offering that works for your context to speed up your spiritual unfoldment. Visit planetdharma.com events to see which experience will help you with your awakening this year. And now here's today's recording. Okay, so our first pillar that we're going to talk about in this course is study. And we're speaking about intellectual study here. So everybody on this call has studied a lot, obviously from preschool up to as far as you'd like to go with that, PhD and so on. And as Sensei was describing earlier, we also really value a, a different style of learning, which is the apprenticeship, journeyman, and master model. And some of us were fortunate to spend a lot of time in Asia where that tradition of, of learning from a teacher directly, a, a kind of transmission from student to teacher is still very strong and very respected. I think that's a bit of a challenge in the West now. If, if you don't have degrees and certificates and so on, it, it kind of doesn't count here. And fortunately, that's not true in Asia. That transmission lineage is very well respected. So study is very much a process, part of the process of awakening. You use your rational and intelligent mind to look at problems and analyze things to see how they're built and how they're shaped and how they're put together. So it's, it's meant to use them to not to drop into unexamined belief models. In Buddha Dharma, you're not asked to believe anything. You're asked to examine and put it to the test and, and find out for yourself whether it's true. And in order to do that, it's a kind of study. You're, in a sense, studying your own mind. You're, you're studying your own patterns. You're studying the structure of your own being to find it, out how it works. And studying, for example, the veracity of emotional states, right? Mm -hmm. is, this, is this really true or is this just a bunch of emotions that are arising and are going to pass away? So we're, we're meant to examine the unexamined view. The unexamined life is not worth living. Socrates, so it's a Socratic principle as well. And we don't like to examine too much because examination often disturbs the status quo. And in the times we live in this, there's so much turmoil in our society and so much struggle in our society, we're just trying to look to get comfortable, safe, and secure. But in that process, we start to lose the examination of life to see how things are put together. So we're given curious minds. We're meant to use them. And that keeps it fresh and exciting. 
And this is very much the basis of Rinzai Zen. It's like deepen the question. The koan is an attempt to take the intellect beyond its analytical ability, but also into its intuitive understanding. So we like to study suttas. We like to study consciousness. So it's very important to study our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, our ideas, and the patterns in all of these things. Patterns and functioning of the body. Mm. Right? Why do we hold tension in the body where we do? What is it that keeps that tension there? How so, do we release it? That's kind of more exciting. <laughs> yeah, really. So the core idea is studying the patterns of you. How you were made, how you're shaped, how you're formed. Not simply walking through life with baggage. Oh, here's me, you know, walking down the street with me and my suitcase. How did that suitcase get developed and built and shaped and formed? Now you can extend that building or that study into things like science, like biology and chemistry to understand things, or physics, or the body, like Catherine says, anatomy, physiology, and so on. And these are all various legitimate forms, movement, singing, your voice. There's no area of study that is excluded, but the idea isn't about getting a job and more money, it's about understanding how you as a human function and how we function together as a group. And so living, practicing, and working in community as we do here, then we also study how to be with others, how to practice together, how to engage in constructive conflict, for example. Because when you're living in community, you really have to learn to do that, or you won't be living in community for very long. Probably the main reason people aren't in community is because they can't meet the conflict of a community. But if you don't meet the conflict of community, you're alone. And if you're alone, then you feel unhappy because you're lonely. So it's a real study to live with other people. Yeah, and the good news is that is constructive conflict is something that you can get good at. Yep. And then conflict is not that big a deal anymore. It's really a way to get closer to people, to get to know people better, to get to know yourself better, and exactly. to develop trust. Exactly. Notice these are topics that are generally not taught in schools, right. even though they're so essential. Right. What were you going to say? So we study these things to become more compassionate and more loving. So in the process of becoming more compassionate and more loving, we also have to learn how to stand on our own, how to be independent, how to work in a group, and how to work together. This is going to raise a lot of places of cohesion where it works really well and a lot of places where it doesn't. And in that process, we get more compassionate, we get more loving, we get more supportive as we learn to meet the conflict and step into Yay. it. Yay. We like to say that we are professional Dharma practitioners, or we also call it professional human beings. So we really try to maintain a high standard in these areas, or, or meet a high standard, or even develop standards at all, right? When, have you, when do we hear about standards for these things? Right. Okay, when we talk about study, really our main study is consciousness and the nature of mind. And this blends naturally with the study of feelings, the study of the body, the senses, and then the study of perception, which is how we interpret our feelings and our senses. And then we study our minds to help us choose more wholesome states Wholesome is such a kind of old-fashioned word, but imagine a whole. <laughs> and that's what we mean when we say wholesome, is it's whole, it's integrated, there aren't any missing pieces, and it's not kind of a weird deformed shape. It's balanced. And in the process of doing that, we fundamentally <laughs> train ourselves 
to understand the illusion of the self. Now, That's illusion true. doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means it doesn't exist the way we think it does, like a rainbow. If a child looks at a rainbow, he goes, oh, go get the rainbow. He doesn't or she doesn't understand the nature of its illusion. But if you understand the nature of the illusion of the ego, then you see the ego more as a rainbow than as a thing called me. Uh, maybe not the best metaphor in the world, but it's a starting point. <laughs> so the study really leads us to, gives us more freedom in terms of our choices. We can choose more wholesome mind states and we can choose more wholesome actions. And it's also really about cultivating more wholesome habits uh, because we run so much of our life on habit. So if you remember from the uh, five principles when we said study, then this part of the study would refer, for instance, to the meditation, where in meditation you study the nature of consciousness so that meditate on the fly. The five principles apply in any one of these four pillars. So in meditation that would be studying how the mind works, it'd be sensing how the mind works, it'd be meditating on the fly, and it would be listening to the more awakened voice in the room as a reflection to meditate upon. So we aspire to be studying the mind and to be studying consciousness all of the time. In other words, we're not really ever not meditating. And acquiring mind is, is one of the key aspects of a, of a spiritual fulfillment or a spiritual integration. And many spiritual people focus on acquiring a, a string of experiences, such as travel or retreats, or learning about a particular kind of Buddhism, or through their own careers or hobbies. But this is a kind of a lopsided learning. And, and the other thing we need to learn is how the consciousness actually functions while it's doing those things. It's really interesting to learn about things you don't want to learn about. Yeah. And that gets, it gets so interesting because why would there be anything in the universe that I don't want to know about? Mm. That's a fascinating investigation and talk about freedom if we can figure out what it is that holds back our interest like, yeah, I'm not interested in that then the world becomes truly a magical place for instance uh, Namjul Rinpoche at one point said that science fiction should be your Bible not Buddha Dharma not the Christian Bible but science <laughs> fiction because science fiction shows you where we're going science fiction opens up the possibilities of what might be where we might go what we might do what kind of reality we might find ourselves living in. Too much of religion is focused on trying to fix you as if there was something wrong with you. There's, there's nothing particularly wrong with you except you're just too obsessed with your lives. So the nice thing about science fiction is that it opens up the possibility of what might be and, and what could happen. So um, the key point here is that we're, as a spiritual tradition or a spiritual organization, we're not just focused on inner peace and healing. Those are kind of the natural byproducts of the practice. We're also focused, like Sensei saying, on reaching into the future. How does the awakened mind manifest? What does the awakened mind create? What kind of communities do we create? What kind of societies do we create? And so this reaches very much into the previous slide on the, the uh, five principles, which is stretch your comfort zone, the green one on the bottom left. So study should also be stretching your comfort zone as well as supporting people more experienced than the others. So that's about, we imagine what's possible for us to do and we also imagine what's impossible. I think, that, was it Winnie the Pooh or it was Hunting the Snark where you should 
imagine three impossible things a day. Was it anybody know where Which that came one? from? Yeah, Alice, Alice. Alice, in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Thank you. I, I'd say that's how we've grown Clear Sky. Yeah. We have done a lot of things that are impossible. Many of us thought were not possible. And look, they have been possible. So I think it'd be a good exercise to imagine three impossible things a day and try to get at least one done in a year. I think I'm 90% yeah, wait, of your... Wait a minute, three a day, that is like more than a thousand oh, well. by the end they, of the year. They have nothing else to do. <laughs> so so I think you'll find that a lot of the, the issues in your life fall away if you find just a bigger thing to focus on. And, and we suggest That's that true. an impossible thing, do one impossible thing this year and 90% of your worry and anxiety probably disappear. You'll be more worried about whether or not you can get the thing done or whether you survive it. That's, you know, that's it'll true. distract you. That's right. Okay. So in terms of study, we also engage a lot with emotional study. As, as human beings, we're also, of course, emotional beings. And in order to study our emotional life, we also use different kinds of therapies, different approaches, psychological approaches. And many of the tools that we mentioned before, such as team building or living, acting, and working in a team, a lot of that relies on good communication. And good communication really relies on being able to both acknowledge our feelings and share those in a skillful way. And also to be able to acknowledge and share the feelings of other people. And to be able to transcend them. Just because we're having a feeling doesn't mean it even matters. Sometimes it's just kind of lightning flash and then it's gone. And so we've got to be able to learn how to roll with that and, and roll with that smoothly. So in terms of emotional study, the key aspect that we should remember is that 80% of the time we feel fine. <laughs> uh, but we tend to ignore it because we feel fine. But on that 20% of the time where we don't feel fine, lonely or, or whatever. Upset. The, upset, angry. The core issue is always hurt. The core issue is at some level we feel hurt. And when we feel hurt, the four fears kick in. The four big fears kick in. The fear of abandonment, the fear of annihilation, the fear of being a bad person, or the fear of insanity. Fear of being crazy. And so behind those four big fears, those, including loneliness, which is abandonment or annihilation, behind those four big fears is hurt. And so a good part of communication and study in terms of emotional study is being able to say or identify when you're hurt that you're hurt. No, you're not angry. You're hurt. And anger is its, its cousin. It's near cousin. Or you don't feel lonely. You feel abandoned. You feel hurt. And so again this ability to acknowledge that hurt is the core emotional negative upon which all the others ride, like parasites in a pandemic or something, then you can understand the first thing you need to do is acknowledge the hurt. And so this emotional study, curiously enough, as silly as it seems, is being able to say, oh, I'm feeling hurt, and to be able to communicate that. So again, back to those five principles we talked about, learning to communicate more skillfully would probably start with saying, oh, well, I feel hurt at this moment. And the funny thing about it is when you do that, you already feel a certain amount of freedom from that hurt just by acknowledging it. And that's where trust starts to develop. When you realize that if you acknowledge your hurt, somebody's not going to abandon you or think you're a loser necessarily. So again, complicated study takes a lot of time and energy. And 
When we can acknowledge it, that's a skill. The acknowledging it is a skill, and then being with that is a skill. We don't necessarily need to do anything. We don't necessarily need to fix it because everyone feels hurt, and that isn't really going to stop. Well, yeah, fundamentally, you can't fix it. Don't think you can fix hurt. It's unfixable. And certainly don't think someone else can fix the hurt because that's really an impossible job. What you do is in the acknowledging, you learn to let go of it. Because once you've acknowledged it, it's done. It's sort of spent. Right. Okay, so another kind of study that we undertake is a physical study or study of the physical realm. So along with studying the body and how it works, studying nutriment and how that affects the body, we also use different physical activities to demonstrate where blocks and holdings might be found. So, for instance, you have all sorts of different therapies like yoga and the martial arts. Or they're actually probably not called the martial arts. I think they were called the loving arts. Karate and Tai Chi and Kung Fu and all those things. You've got dance and theater and ballet and all those things. You've got basketball and sports and all those things. But the one that we're going to recommend you do this week is meditate in a tree. Find the physicality of meditating 10 feet up a tree. And if you can't get up a tree, meditate on the edge of a roof of a building. Or in some way, take your body to a place and contemplate yourself in an environment. Meditate at the bottom of a pool. I mean, it might be a short meditation. Uh, and you might not be able to get to a pool. But, but this idea, put your body in different environments and different. meditate outside naked if you can find a safe place on the planet to do that. In lockdown might not be the time, might be the best time to do that. I'm not sure. It's interesting to note that people had to get good at meditating. Traditionally, you had to get good at meditating outside before they were allowed to meditate inside because it's considered much more difficult to meditate inside. We'd actually like to put your body in location if we can. Then, of course, there's the spiritual study. And this tradition, as most of you know, is very eclectic. We study everything from the Western mysteries to Buddha Dharma, shamanism, neuropsychology, and biochemistry. Physics. And, of, of course, meditation. Okay, so our other pillars, so study, meditation, service, or karma yoga, and integrating the shadow, those are the four pillars. And, of course, these other three pillars also require study. So one of the ways we study the shadow is through therapeutic kind of work. For instance, the hero's journey. There's also the study of altered states of consciousness, which is not only meditation, but things like ayahuasca or peyote, by way of understanding what your consciousness does under different conditions. These are all legitimate forms of study. We can see that it's quite a comprehensive undertaking study, and you, I think you can see that it includes almost anything you can come up with, including studying how to sharpen skates. Because, of course, ice skates. Ice skates. Because, of course, anything that sharpens your physical dexterity is also a study, like chopping vegetables. And as since I mentioned, really one of the key elements of our spiritual unfoldment is, is studying how to let go of hurt, how to transcend hurt. Because hurt will always be with us, and the only way to get beyond it is to simply let go of it. Now, if this seems somewhat eclectic and far-ranging, the reason is that it is. And this is very Zen. So you're actually right in alignment with and uh, completely in agreement with Zen practice. 
where you sweep the floor, you cut the vegetables, everything you do, you do completely in the moment with the now, meditate on the fly, you're meditating, you're communicating more skillfully, in this case with your body or with other people with your feelings and emotions, or you're working with the shadow or service. So in this sense, every moment is a moment for full attention or mindfulness. And so you're deepening the mindfulness, you're deepening your understanding and you're deepening your insight by applying study in the sense of full attention and full engagement and question to whatever you're involved in. And so listening to this class, for instance, would be a form of study, but also listening to what your reactions and emotions and the thoughts or feelings that are arising while you listen to this. It's much more important that you study the pattern of what those are than just to have them. You can have any kind of feeling or thought or response you like to this class, but it's not nearly as helpful for you as it is to understand the patterning of how those thoughts arise and when they arise and what those feelings are and how they arise. And this is one of the reasons why embracing spiritual community is so valuable. That's one of our five principles is because if you're not sure what some of those patterns are, just ask the people in your spiritual community. Or if you don't have one, ask people who know you well, because it's one of those funny things where we might draw a blank on our own patterns, but everyone around us knows what they are and can help us see them more clearly so that we can make more wholesome choices. So again, an important study for living in the world is how to improve your spiritual state, how to be in better states, how to be in good states. That means how to get into them, how to maintain them, how to promote them, how to keep them. It also means getting in contact with undeveloped areas of your being, areas that have been ignored or avoided or shut down because of either trauma or lack of time. And this is called developing through the stages, which we'll talk about later. We mentioned it at the beginning. Yeah, some of you may be familiar with states and stages. It's a really key principle in integral spirituality. We truly believe that this approach to the new age and the new millennia and ongoing Dharma is revolutionary and is going to have a huge effect in time over the years and centuries to come. So we invite you to be early participants in the process of developing the new monastery. Join the experiment. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on your favorite podcast app to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. If you are finding this talk about modern manifestations of wisdom teachings valuable, you'll want to check out Wisdom Publications podcast interview with Sensei and Capel on the Wisdom Podcast. It's a wide-ranging interview, the first half of which lays out a detailed account of the life of Namjal Rinpoche. It's a great synopsis of the legacy this generation of the lineage is currently carrying forward. The second half of the interview explores the ways that Capel and Sensei are honoring the Namjal tradition of bringing the teachings to new frontiers. Being interviewed in the same year as teachers like the Dalai Lama and Robert Thurman is a real honor, and I know Sensei and Capel thoroughly enjoyed their conversation with Daniel Aiken. You can find a link to the episode in today's show notes, or look for episode 128 of the Wisdom Podcast on your favorite podcast app. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.